2: encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk860, and Womentowatch.net. I'm so excited to be back in the studio after a really wonderful holiday, and I want to wish everyone a happy new year. I think 2017 is going to be a pretty exciting year. Um, I know it is going to be around here, and um, I am very fortunate to have someone joining me this afternoon in the studio. She flew in all the way from Boston, so I'm very grateful. Um, before we get started, I just want to give a quick uh, note for our call-in number. If you're listening and you'd like to call in and join our conversation, you can do so by dialing 888-329-3306. That's 888 888-329- 329 3306. And again, be sure to check out our brand new website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two watch.net. So uh, I am very happy to have with me my guest today. Her name is Karen Van Winkle. Karen is the president of the Harvard Club of Boston, and she's also vice president of business development for the Creative Office Pavilion. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. It's very nice that uh, we had a couple of minutes to chat before we went on air and, and get to know each other a little bit more. Um, and we are certainly going to talk about your, your role as president of the club um, and also your years with um, creative uh, develop, um, sorry, creative office pavilion. But I want to start with your backstory, and uh, I, I so much enjoyed reading about your family legacy at Harvard. I think that was probably a um, you know a jumpstart to, to why you are the, uh, the president today of the Harvard Club. So I want to start with your years growing up in Cambridge, mm-hmm. and then I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about uh, the story about your grandmom working at Harvard mm-hmm. and what happened there.
0: Sure, it's it's not um, the most common family legacy story that's told at Harvard. It's pretty it's unusual. Yes. Um I grew up literally blocks away from Harvard University, and um, uh, walked through the campus many times as a child. And my friends have te- has, have teased me that I bleed crimson. Um, I have two grandmothers who are both Irish Catholic maids at the Harvard Business School, and one day they were cleaning a room together, and they happened to get chatting. And they learned that one had a son, and the other had a daughter. And all of a sudden, the sparks started to fly about introducing them. And a couple of <laughs> weeks later, they went to a dance. And here I am. So literally, literally, if it hadn't been for Harvard and my two grandmothers working there as maids, I would not be here talking to you today as first president, of, first female president of the Harvard Club of Boston.
2: And you know why I love that? There's something about Irish women. They're always matchmaking. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. My mom is a prime example of that. Um, and, you know, it speaks to the the importance of, you know, always be looking around and, and saying hello to people and telling your story, right? So your parents, I understand, did not attend college, and yet they managed to work hard and save and send your three brothers and yourself um, all through Ivy League schools. Mm -hmm. And that's really a feat, you know. Um, I wanted to to hear from you. How how did they manage to do that? I mean, obviously, the um, education was was a main focus for them, instilling in you the importance of that. Um, How did they manage to to do that from a, a work standpoint?
0: Well, my mom um, graduated with a high school degree, and my father actually was admitted to college and um, decided to leave after his first semester to go into the service at the time. Um, but clearly neither of them graduated from, with, a, with a college degree. But ever since I can remember, education was paramount in our household. We were never allowed to do anything until our homework was done. My parents were constantly signing us up for either science courses at the museum on a Saturday morning, which was dreadful at the time, or um, oratorical contests where we would have to get up and speak in front of hundreds of people at seventh and eighth grade, um, and they were always looking for opportunities to broaden our horizons we didn 't really travel extensively as a family, but my parents were at every sports meet event for any of any of us growing up and I had three um, older brothers who uh, really created a, a um, an image or a vision for me. They were all very successful, well-educated. Of the four children, two of us went to Harvard and two of us went to Yale. So my mom, literally on her dying bed, was telling all the doctors and nurses about this story repeatedly until Aww. it was quite embarrassing. But anyway,
2: <laughs> very proud. I cherish it, yes. She was very proud. Yep. I-, I asked you prior to the show if you've you felt some pressure to not only be successful in school, but to, you know, to get into an Ivy League school and, and get that degree, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, and you said uh, that was not the case, but that your brothers actually were inspirational to you. How so?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say they were directly inspirational. There was a lot of sarcasm and teasing going on in, I'm my, sure. in my house, but, yeah, but little um, sister. I saw the value. Uh, they all went to Phillips Andover Academy, and I saw the value that that education and the Um, regiment and the hard work paid off and um, I I found it inspirational my dad and and I grew up in a very traditional Irish Catholic family um, my dad always encouraged me to do just as well as the boys I never felt discriminated against there was no discrimination of any sort in my house growing up and that I don't think could be said for all of the neighborhoods around Boston at the time
2: Mm. Um, I think it's key when when, uh, a father instills that in their daughter. Mm -hmm. It's different. The message is different coming from um, your dad than your mom, I would say.
0: Yeah, it's a gift.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that that, um, was a part of your growing up that I think probably had a big um, effect on your self-esteem and confidence was attending an all-girls academy. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me what what the greatest uh, gift would you say did you receive from having that opportunity? I really, uh, I've
0: never been shy, but in that school in particular, Mount St. Joseph's Academy, I really blossomed, and I was totally unafraid to raise my hand and speak up and run for office and get involved in things that I had never had exposure to before. And I don't think that, um, for me personally, had I been in a co-ed either public or private high school, I would have had as few distractions as I had at Mount St. Joseph's. And um, it was a small school, a lot of high achievers, and um, we really also developed this bond of sisterhood, which I carry with me today. I I love developing young women and helping them with their confidence and their their self-assuredness.
2: And how did you handle the, um, I know I have a daughter who attended an all-girls academy as well, there can often be um, a pressure put upon uh, themselves because of the, um, you know, just striving to to be as successful as the girl beside her. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with those types of um, experiences? Well, um,
0: I, I think my parents were very good at not letting any of us develop Heads that were too big. Um, I think I, I just had an incredibly loving environment and supportive environment, and I really didn't feel the pressure uh, either to compete with men or other women. And as I say, I, I, um, I think I learned a lot from both.
2: Yeah. Um, In doing my homework and reading, I understand you received a scholarship to Harvard, the Virginia Polar Scholarship, which happens to be, um, it was founded by Amy Polar's aunt.
0: Yes, Is that act- correct? actually, it wasn't founded by her, but it was founded by the members of the Harvard Club of Boston in honor of her aunt. Okay. Her, her aunt had been an employee at the club for over 30 years, and from what I understand, died suddenly, and the club was stunned and pulled together a collection, and I was the first female scholarship recipient at the club, and the scholarship that I received then for my time at Harvard was called the Virginia Polar Scholarship, and um, since I've become president, I've had some really funny experiences, but one of them is I'm going to reach out to Amy and see if we can get her to the club and let her know that her aunt helped to see the first female president of the club.
2: Oh, I think that's great. Uh, I'm sure she'll accept if she can. That would right? be great. Yeah. So tell me what, you know, that um, that scholarship was awarded to you, obviously because you were showing leadership abilities. Um, what types of um, clubs or, or things were you involved in in high school that, that showed that?
0: Well, um, the, the actual description on the scholarship was specifically for women who have shown leadership skills, and um, I don't know that I did anything extraordinary in high school. I ran for office. I was vice president of my class. I ran the yearbook. I mean, I did the typical things that you do in high school, but simultaneously, because I did come from a family where we all had to work part-time jobs – when I went through Harvard, I worked three jobs, um, including cleaning the bathrooms, which was the highest-paying job on campus. Um, and I <laughs> as wanted it to do, <laughs> I wanted to do that so that right. I could do all the other things I wanted to do at Harvard, such as row crew and get involved in a lot of extracurricular organizations.
1: Yeah. And
0: um, again, a, a funny story how life circumstances develop. One of the first bathrooms I was assigned to clean was Caroline Kennedy's bathroom. Oh my gosh! And wow. my parents that Christmas. Um, under the tree was a package that I unwrapped, and it was a plastic toilet brush and bowl that they had spray-painted gold, because they said, if you know, being Irish Catholic in Boston, if you're going to clean Caroline Kennedy's bathroom, you better have a gold-plated <laughs> toilet brush. So that was the kind of humor that went around the Corcoran oh, household. Oh, I love
2: that. I lo- you know what? That says a lot about you, the fact that you did that. Um, I, I think, you know, many people, that would be beneath them to do that. And, uh, it's all about the money. All about the money. <laughs> or how to, you know, it was about, you know, how can I get it done? Right. Right? How can I get through Right. Um, Actually, so your degree was in psychology, Mm -hmm. which I think is wonderful because I feel as though no matter what direction you take in life, if we all had a degree in psychology, I think it would be helpful. Um, Tell me what your aspirations were at the time and, you know, when you decided to do that.
0: Well, I... I really never thought that I would become a psychologist or a psychiatrist. In fact, I did several term-time jobs working for um, internships in the in the psych department. One year I worked with um, eating disorder children. Another, I worked with a, a family that had a lot of domestic violence. Um, I worked through the Cambridge Middlesex Courthouse one year, and... I learned from those experiences that it probably was not something I wanted to do as a profession, but I found the subject matter fascinating. And part of me said that if I could get higher grades in something that I was truly passionate about and was successfully a graduate of Harvard, it might not matter what I majored in. Right, yes. <laughs> and I, yes. I, I do pull from my psychology background a little bit every now and then in my world of sales. But um, I bet. But I, I knew at the time when I was majoring in it that I probably would not – live as a psychologist or psychiatrist.
2: So what was your first job out of out of uh, Harvard then?
0: Well, I also, one of the volunteer jobs I did on campus is I um, worked for the admissions office and mm-hmm. I gave tours of campus and I would, on a regular basis, give um, groups of young applicants tours of the campus and I got very friendly with the dean and the assistant dean at the time and when I was... In my senior year, uh, typical in your senior year at Harvard, a number of corporations come to campus to interview. And I did the typical Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs and all those interviews. But Bill Fitzsimmons, who was the assistant dean at the admissions office, office and is now the dean, asked me if I had any interest in working in admissions. And it was the perfect job for me. I, as, a, as a resident of Cambridge who hadn't traveled much, I got to travel all around the country representing Harvard, talking mm. to students who were interested in applying. Which, believe it or not, was my first sales job. And people say, well, you you didn't have to sell Harvard. Come on. But when you're standing in Biloxi, Mississippi, in the middle of a cow patch, and you're trying to convince kids to come up north where there's snow, there's a little bit of selling that goes (laughs) on. That was truly my first sales job. And then I went from there to Procter & Gamble, Mm -hmm. and by a twist of fate, um, a friend of a friend Introduced me to this crazy little world of office furniture and architecture and design. And I've mm. been in that industry now for over 30 years and, and really loving it.
2: Yeah. It's funny how our, you know, how the twists and turns our, our career can take. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to talk about the, uh, the Harvard Club and, mm-hmm. and your role there. I think it's, um, it's interesting to me because there's so much um, conversation going on in today's world about diversity and inclusion. And when I think about the Harvard Club, it's an exclusive club. Um, and for 108 years, they didn't have a, a, a male president. and a
0: female president.
2: I'm sorry, a oh. female president. My goodness, <laughs> yes, a female president. And so, you know, I, I I think there's a conflict sometimes when we talk about the importance and the power of diversity and inclusion, and then there's also the other side of, of people feeling um, that they want to belong to a group that is like-minded and, you know, um, clubs like you know, private clubs have been around for a long, long time. So I guess my question for you is how do you um, talk about the, the importance and the positivity around a club like the uh, Harvard Club of Boston while still focusing on the importance and positivity around inclusion and diversity? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Well,
0: absolutely. I, first of all, I, I want to go on record of, of saying that um, the Harvard Club is a lot more diverse than people give it credit. Um, for for example, 22% of our board is female. Over 15% of our board is minority. Um, I am, in fact, the first female president of the Harvard Club, but women were not admitted to the Harvard Club of Boston until 1971, and there have only been 10 presidents since then. So, you know, it's not as if there's been a, a history of discrimination. Right, um, yes. I, I, and honestly, from the first day I walked into the Harvard Club, I joined right after graduation, I, and I had been in the club because I had been the scholarship recipient at an annual dinner every year, so I, it was uh, it 's a magnificent building um, but I always felt welcomed. I was immediately put on committees. I was given an opportunity to have a voice and to voice my opinion. And very often I would be sitting in a committee room or on a, on a board meeting where I would be the only female, and I would be younger by at least 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. But I never felt as if I couldn't speak up or that my opinion didn't matter. And um, that's not an impression that many people have of the Harvard Club. I do think it's a very welcoming environment. Um, Fifty percent of our members are between the age of 35 and 50. Um, that's not an image that people have of the Harvard Club because they think of it as an old boys network. And, sure. and yes, you yes. know, 20 percent of our population at the Harvard Club is is over 70 years old, but that is not the majority.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, in today's world, you're almost forced to, um, you know, to make changes around um, institutions. I'll say that have been a certain way for a long time. Um, and one of the things you talk about is is um, having the club be more welcoming to women and families. Mm-hmm. What are some of the uh, you know, the plans for 2017 around that?
0: One of the great joys since I've become president is being in events um, frequently at the club where I've had a number of young people come up to me and say, how can I get involved? How can I get involved in a committee? Because many of them have heard my story, that I've, I was on practically every committee in the club for over 30 years, um, and I've made the most incredible connections for business and for pleasure and and friendship with some of the brightest people I've ever met in my life. It's been an extraordinary networking experience Mm -hmm. for me. And I think especially young people now graduating post-recession understand the importance of networking and connecting with people. It's not necessarily what you know, but who you know. Mm -hmm. And I think the Harvard Club is an absolutely perfect environment for that
2: when you, I I know that you do some volunteering and you do mentor, you Mm -hmm. mentor young people, Mm -hmm. and we talk a lot about networking and the importance of it, and it truly is, it's building relationships. Mm -hmm. It's not about walking into a room and handing someone a business card, right? So tell me, what are some of the things you say to young people about how to do that in the best way and actually have it be beneficial?
0: I I always strive the importance of being authentic. I, I think that, um, Sometimes, especially when people are nervous in a crowd of people that they don't know, they put on airs. Mm -hmm. And for me, when people ask, you know, to what do I attribute my success? I I think I've always been incredibly authentic. I always look and ask people how I can help them. Not what they can do for me, but I see it as a mutual thing. Mm -hmm. And I think those ingredients pretty quickly um, are apparent to people that you're speaking to. And so I, I talk to the younger people in, in our company at Creative Office Pavilion as well as at the Harvard Club about understanding the value that you bring in any situation, being authentic, always inquiring f- from others what can you do to help them or what is it, what's their world like, what do they do for a living. It's not all about you. And I think that those simple things have worked quite well for me.
2: Well, I would say that the, I think the ability to be authentic, to be genuine in your, you know, your day-to-day comes from a strong self-esteem. So I want to ask you, where did that self-esteem come from in you?
0: I had an incredibly supportive um, mother and father. And, and my dad in particular, given the time in which I grew up, was unusually supportive of um, females and, and my doing anything that my brothers were able to do
2: so and and the messaging that came from your mom versus your dad, I know that they were traditional yes, right very you know, traditional. mom was home with you and Dad was out working mm-hmm. um was there um was there a sense in you from your mom that even though she didn't go out and pursue a career, you could do it
0: absolutely in fact, they both had this expression that they they used all the time. it was a two horse two horse cart. And they both had to pull equally for it to be successful. And that's the way they viewed their marriage, and that's the way they, they entered every decision. They It was never that my dad made all the decisions. The two of them treated each other with tremendous respect.
2: Yeah, they were a team. Yes. Yeah. Um, you have a 20-year-old son yourself, and um, I'm, I'm wondering what, you know, as a, as a woman who um, you're leading by example, certainly for him, but I wonder what your conversations are with him um, with regard to respect for women?
0: Well, I've always worked since um, ever since I've had Christopher, and um, I think he's always seen his mom as someone who not only got up and went to a job every day but also did a lot of other things. I was always involved in the PTA and the after-school program and the swim team, et cetera, et cetera. So engaging in community and giving back and being respectful of women and the multiple balls that they juggle is something that I think he's learned from a very early age. I do think that there's a lot more pressure on youth today, mm-hmm. um, certainly than I experienced. And there's a lot of social um, awkwardness, I think, and there's a lot of tension, especially on campuses around, around the country now, um, between men and women. And I think that I just have, you know, I've tried to instill the values that my parents instilled in me. Treat people fairly, pe- treat people with kindness, and see what you can do to help.
2: Do you think, wh- where do you think that awkwardness is coming from? Do you think it has, you know, that technology it is attributed to I that? I definitely
0: think yeah. that's a link. I, I see young people who are, uh, even in, in our office, who much prefer to send an email than to pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. Much more comfortable on Twitter than they are face-to-face. And I, I do think it's somewhat of an epidemic, quite frankly. Yeah, um, it is. M- I'm fortunate that my son is, is outgoing, but I think with technology that's not always the case
2: do you have any grand ideas on how we can get them to put those phones down? We were talking about this over the holidays, actually, because a really wonderful video was, was going around Facebook. And a young man was talking about just how detrimental it is that People cannot be with other humans in a room and not be looking at their phone. Yeah, are missing opportunities. I
0: guess I'm a dinosaur. I just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been into video games, especially these ones where you can sit alone on your sofa and be playing with someone far across the world. Right, um, right. But, but I just I think that one of the things that I'm proud about the Harvard Club is we foster events and programs that try to bring people out, be they educational, fun, around food, purely social, um, and and I, what I'm gratified to see is at the club now we're offering a lot more family events, and I will walk in and have lunch or dinner, and there'll be a family sitting at the Harvard Club with young babies, and that to me is thrilling because that was not the case when I first joined.
2: Is that right? Mm-hmm. So that's really new to the club. I wouldn't say is it's it new,
0: a- but it's definitely more prevalent.
2: Yeah. Do you um, foresee any types of women's leadership events at the club?
0: Yes. In fact, we have um, uh, one of the subcommittees uh, at the club is the Women of the Harvard Club. And every year we have a gala where we honor distinguished women. We call it Boston's Most Influential Women. But invited to that event are, you know, anyone can come as a guest. But it's very inspiring to stand there and see these shakers and movers that are females in our local Boston um, community, how they got to where they got to, and seeing the faces on some of the younger women in the room. Mm. Um, We also have several programs, both educational as well as social, that are particularly geared towards women we have a pop-up night or uh, uh, the first uh, i'm sorry the, the last thursday of the month where you can just show up and it's a number of women from the harvard club and it's usually around a certain topic like women in stem or women in finance etc that you can just go and mingle with either people that are in the field that you're in or mm-hmm. if you're interested in finance and you don't know much about it you can go show up as well so yeah. we're trying to create more and more informal gatherings that foster that kind of help
2: I think there's such a a wonderful variety of of places to go and resources to do that now. We have networking um, organizations and groups, and and lots and lots of women are writing books Mm -hmm. about, you know, how and why it's important for women to step up and be leaders. When you think about the big picture, Mm -hmm. and we were talking a little bit about this before the show, you know, why, why are we putting so much effort into saying, we need more women on boards, we need more women in C-suites, we just need more women to to really um, use their voices. What is it that you see, um, or how will you see the world being better when we get to that point where there's not perhaps an equal number of women but maybe even more women leading across all industries? What do you see as the major change that will happen?
0: Well, certainly there are more and more studies showing that the prevalence of women at the top in organizations Directly relate to the success and the bottom line of the corporation. I think that women think differently, and I know that's a gross generalization, but I remember attending a lecture recently at the Harvard Business School where there was a graduate student who was researching um, women and men in corporate leadership, and she had an equal group of men and women, but the way they described how they got to the top was quite different. Um, The women talked about what they knew and the men largely talked about how they did it. And um, (laughs) there was an analogy used at the time that women, when they're in a collaborative work environment at a board meeting or a committee meeting or whatever, they have sort of like a bat-like sonar that goes around the room and checks in to see what people are doing, what their body language is, what their eye contact is, et cetera, whereas men are more stealth in their observations and at times don't even look at the other people in the room because they're so... Uh, focused on what they're saying. yeah. So yeah. I, do, I do think women think differently. I think the world will benefit from a lot of the collaborative strength of women and also the ability to multitask mm-hmm. and, and be more empathetic.
2: Yeah. Tell me about some of the um, crossovers that you see in your role at Creative Office Pavilion um, and your role now with the Harvard Club. Uh, when it comes to women and are do you use your same philosophy in trying to inspire and motivate women i always like to ask you know how do you motivate your team do you find yourself doing that um equally for both roles
0: i do i i i think my style at this point in my life is is what it is and it tends to be very inclusive and empowering I, i have a number of um young people and women in particular that I work with at Creative Office Pavilion, and I always try to let them know that their opinion and their view of whatever it is we're working on is important, and I solicit it, and I support their efforts, and I also often ask them where they want to go next. And I was fortunate in my career when I look back, I always had um, somebody who was looking ahead for me and asking me that question. What did I want to do next? Where did I want to go? What barriers might I be facing? And I wouldn't say that I, I, at the Harvard Club, one tiny example is that when I had my first board meeting as president, I chose to move this very beautiful carved wooden throne, I like to call it, that has traditionally sat at the end of the boardroom table to the middle of the table to send a very immediate and significant message that this was a team, we had the fiduciary responsibility to look out for the club, and that I was one member of the team.
2: Yeah, not no uh, no hierarchy there, right? right? I think. And
0: of course there is, but, well, but there it was is. symbolic, right. and that's I wanted right. to say I rely on all of you and your strengths, and we together will successfully run this club.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the toughest things to do um, if you're in charge is to. Um, we need leaders because we need someone that that's looks at the big picture and says, this is how we're going to tackle it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you're not reaching out to those that are on your team and asking for their input, I don't think you'll ever reach your greatest potential. Right. Um, Can you talk about a time when, um, you know, you mentioned the word barriers. What have been some challenges that you have faced in your career? Maybe something that stands out to you as one of the greatest professional challenges. Um, Tell us about it and how did you move through that?
0: Well, I think um, there was a point in my career where I found it very difficult to say no to certain requests. And as my responsibilities in the various employment and, and after hours, things that I was involved in grew, I couldn't do everything. And I had to understand, first and foremost, what were my priorities And what could I say no to? The world wouldn't fall apart Mm -hmm. (laughs) if I didn't do it. Someone else would step up and do it. And I really have um, done a fairly good job over the last decade or so aligning my primary interests and passions with how I spend my time. And I think that can be a barrier if you want to do everything or if you happen to be a fairly visible figure and people ask you to do a lot of different things.
2: Mm -hmm. Would you say, and because I often think that women, sometimes for one of two reasons, don't know how to say no. One is they're control freaks, <laughs> right? And they want to have control of everything and, and think they're the only one. And um, sometimes it's for people-pleasing. They don't want to disappoint. Mm-hmm. They, they they just really want to be there for everyone. Can you point to one of those as the reason you struggled with that or maybe it was something else?
0: Um, I, I just think I, I didn't realize that even though I have a lot of energy and I don't require a lot of sleep, there is a physical limitation to what you can do in a (laughs) given day. And, you know, my priorities varied as as I matured in my life. There was a time when I stepped away from board and volunteer responsibilities that were related to work and were much more involved in things in my son's community because that was important. And, you know, being a full-time working mom, it's hard to create the visibility and the friendships on the home front sometimes if you're always at the office. And so these connections that I made with organizations that were related to my son or my community were invaluable in me being planted in the little town that I live in.
2: Mm. Um, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd love to talk to you about how you handle when you come up against people who are a little resistant to change, Mm -hmm. because obviously there's going to be some changes at the club and and what you do in those instances. Sure. We'll be right back.
1: I'm Jocelyn Ewart, Founding Principal of Entrust Financial in Wayne, Pennsylvania, and it is my pleasure to share financial tips with you during my monthly segment on Women to Watch. I hope you are a regular listener like I am and that you are finding the personal finance tips I provide helpful. Some of the topics we have discussed so far this year are how to get organized, how to help your children learn good money habits, how to create that all important travel budget and what steps are needed as you prepare for retirement. Now I have truly exciting news for you. News you can share with your family and friends. As a veteran certified financial planner professional, I just published my first book, Balancing Act, Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. It is filled with inspiring real case studies to help you and other women move past fear, build confidence, and make the right decisions without financial concerns. Just go to Amazon.com to purchase your copy. And please, write a review for Balancing Act, Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. I look forward to reading it.
2: I'm pleased to announce the opening of the region's newest, most innovative gynecology practice in the Philadelphia area in mid-November, Montgomery Gynecology. Led by Dr. Hema Janogada in a welcoming boutique style setting, she and her team are committed to providing the highest standard of cutting edge care without losing the personal touch that is so very important in today's world. With a particular interest in minimally invasive surgical options, Dr. Hema completed advanced training in robotic surgery and is one of only two surgeons in Montgomery County who performs this highly specialized single site robotic surgery. For more information on the opening of this exciting new practice in the convenient Plymouth meeting location, go to www.montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411. That's montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411 to make an appointment today. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. I am joined this afternoon by Karen Van Winkle. Again, she's the president of the Harvard Club of Boston and vice president of business development for the Creative Office Pavilion. And I'd like to mention that the, the role that Karen has with the Harvard Club is a volunteer role. Um, so that, you know, it's something that you're doing in addition to another very full time job. Um, when just before the break, we were, you know, talking a little bit about um, how you came to the role and, and your background, your philosophies for management and leadership. One of the things that I think is always um, a test for leaders is dealing with people who are resistant to change. And clearly, you have some great ideas and, and plans for the club um, for, for 2017, first I wanted to know how you deal with that when you come up against someone who really just is kind of resistant to any any kind of change.
0: I try to let them talk about why they're resistant and what their ideas are. And, and you know, I, I think everyone's entitled to their opinion. I honestly have not felt a resistance to my being president at the Harvard Club. I've felt tremendous support. Um, I, you know, there are comments and gestures that I may make. I try to make myself as visible as possible. There was a joke at one point as to whether or not I should wear a tiara to my first board meeting, and I chose not to do that. I think that was a good decision.
2: (laughs) Although Um, sometimes that's fun. (laughs) That's
0: true. That's true. But um, I think that um, I really, I can't speak from personal experience that I've, I've encountered resistance at the Harvard Club. Certainly, in my career over the years, I have run up against resistance, and sometimes even the the Harvard name has sparred some resistance or some criticism from coworkers. Um, You know, I, I I think I'm not 100% sure, but I think I'm the only Ivy League graduate in my company. And the truth is, a Harvard. Degree or any Ivy League degree wouldn't make a darn bit of difference in terms of how successful you are in selling office furniture. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, that's right. That's so um, right. Yeah. I take I take that uh, in in uh, stride, and I, I try to um, I put up with a fair amount of sarcasm in, in the workplace too. We're we're a very um, critical and uh, loving group of people.
2: There's some humor there, right? Big time. You have to yes. have it. You have to have it. Yeah. Well, then how have you leveraged your role as president of the club um, to benefit your career?
0: Well, it's interesting when I, uh, I did get a call from from the chair of the nominating committee saying that I had been unanimously voted to be president of the club, I think the expectation was that I would say, thank you so much, I'm so excited. But what I actually said was, I really appreciate this honor, and I am honored, but I can't accept it right now because I do have to go talk to my boss. And I will honestly tell you that that person was shocked that I said that. But the truth of the matter is, I work for a great company, and I'm well paid, and I love what I do, And I felt that my number one allegiance was to my employer. Mm. And fortunately, with with the support of of my boss, who's a female, and some of my um, co-management colleagues, um, I have been able to actually leverage this gig at the Harvard Club um, for for business uh, benefit. Uh, the visibility that I've gotten, uh, the, I've been graced by some great coverage in the Boston Globe and local TV, and a number of articles that are Harvard-related. Um, and I think that whenever I can, I talk about all that I've learned in my career and the joy that I get out of having a job that I love every day. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important. I also am able to use the physical clubhouse for company events, where instead of renting a room in a hotel, we can go to the Harvard Club, which is a really nice little treat because it's exclusive and a lot of my clients and my co-workers would not be able to use the club if it were not for my membership there. Um, At the same time, I I do have an appreciation of design and physical environments, given what I've done for the last 35 years. Mm -hmm. And so I've been able to bring that perspective and knowledge and industry knowledge to the Harvard Club. We've just finished a $16 million renovation at our main clubhouse. And I was certainly a very involved member of the steering committee on this massive renovation. And with my working knowledge of construction and, and furniture and environments and lighting, I think that that was a way that I could both involve my company in that process when it was appropriate and be able to add my expertise when it was appropriate.
2: Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. I, I took um, a quote off of the website uh, of, for the company that you work for. We believe passionately in the idea that the built environment has the power to transform the way people work and live. And that resonated with me only because I am someone who truly Um, walks into a room and immediately has a feeling of either contentment or this doesn't feel good to me, you know, that feng shui Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that people don't understand the importance that, you know, the physical environment around you can play on your psyche.
0: It can play a huge role in the success of a company, be it a small company or a large company. And the landscape of offices has changed tremendously uh, the Dilbert cubicle days are long gone, mm. and Thank there goodness. are yes, there yes. are many many more um, collaborative and open environments in the workforce. The students that are graduating from college these days have been learning in these open collaborative environments, and to take them from their graduating days and put them in a cubicle just doesn't work it's not the way people work they share information through technology they share information over the transom they sit in open desking situations and um, although some of the older employees like myself may find that to be a dramatic change it is definitely the way of the workforce and the work environments today and we're fortunate to have a leading brand in Herman Miller which is a brand that we sell and they have done phenomenal research over the years about the impact of the work environment on the productivity the happiness and the retention of employees.
2: Mm, it makes so much sense to me. I'm so, uh, you know, uh, happy to see those kind of changes and these national workspaces that they're implementing that give people who work from home an opportunity to get out of the house and go and not only have a professional space, but network as well. I mean, right. these, these um, offices are opening up business opportunities for people. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell me what you, what. Tell me about a typical day. That's kind of you know. It's not a very creative question. In my but,
0: volunteer job uh, or no, in my day in job? No, in your day
2: job. <laughs> yeah. What's a typical um, day in well, your day I, job? Well, I have
0: a couple different hats that I wear. So I have a small marketing group that reports to me, and we uh, have done everything from rebrand the company to launch a new website, all the collateral material, as well as the day-to-day proposals that go out the door. Um, and in this particular instance, I've had the good fortune of having some really bright young women work for me in this role uh, over the years, and um, that's where I I get a lot of my mentoring on a day-to-day basis. I also have um, been given responsibility for a new division of the company, which sells laboratory furniture, as in research laboratory furniture, and that's a, a part of the market that we hadn't previously tapped, and so... It's like a startup within our company, and it's very exciting. And I've had mm. to build a team that's different from our furniture sales force, with different skill sets and different um, past experiences.
2: Yeah, so that's been completely sort of, different. Uh, yeah. That's
0: another hat that I wear. And then, last but not least, I um, oversee a number of the salespeople who work with both corporate and healthcare accounts. So I, I have a couple different hats, and probably the biggest challenge with the volunteer job that I've just acquired um, is that you know I, I need to be in and around the office on a regular basis every day. I can't just leave for half a day. And so um, I had to create a new schedule for a lot of the committee meetings that we meet very early in the morning or we meet after hours. Uh, And I'm often at the club four or five nights a week uh, there are days when I have a triple header at the club. I'll be there for a, a breakfast meeting, a lunch with or without clients, and then an evening event. So okay. uh, it's been a juggle, but it's, I, I honestly am having a blast. You're
2: a busy it. lady. I
0: am, but it's, yeah. it's a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I feel very privileged to be given this opportunity, and I'm really having fun with it.
2: Yeah, that's wonderful. I want to mention you're, you're going to be doing some work here in Philadelphia at Drexel. Yes. Speaking we, about the labs. Yes, yeah. it's
0: with our new lab division <clears throat> and um, a German brand of office furniture laboratory furniture, and we're just completing within the next week the second phase of um, some new laboratory buildings that they're building. So um, I can't get over there today to see it.
2: I I was going (laughs) to say, you could have you know, killed two birds with one stone coming in here to Philadelphia today. Um, Let's talk about your, we're going to go back to the club now, your volunteer job. Um, What are your three priorities for the club?
0: Well, the club presently has a little less than 5,000 members. But um, in prior years, and I'm talking many years ago, we were... had it in excess of 8,000 members. So we have not filled the club to capacity. And so my number one priority is to bring more members into the club for a number of different reasons. First of all, increased members is increased vibrancy and, and full utilization of the club. And that, that makes a good business proposition. So um, that's number one priority. The second is to increase the diversity. And I don't just mean gender diversity, but I mean diversity in terms of age, in terms of um, we, we, the Harvard Club is not just for people who have Harvard degrees. We have two physical clubhouses, and the downtown clubhouse also admits members who have graduated from other colleges.
2: Okay, um, I don't so think people would know that. They
0: p- people would not know that, and yeah. we've had a huge um, increase in the in the number of um, affiliate memberships for people who don't have a Harvard degree.
2: Okay. Um,
0: so I would like to increase the number of families that frequent the club. Um, The target audience for membership, as far as I'm concerned, is people between the age of 35 and 55. They tend to have the time in their lives and the interest in creating, uh, joining a community and and spending time with a social uh, group. And that, coupled with the fact that 20% of our members are over the age of 70, just by sheer attrition alone, uh, we need to rebuild that base. And then the third priority I'm, I'm particularly passionate about is something that I've coined, Harvard Club with a Heart. Uh, The first president of the Harvard Club of Boston was a huge uh, philanthropic figure in Boston. He actually founded the Boston Symphony, and he did a lot of other things around the community that truly engage the Boston community. And I think, uh, left to our own devices, we might become too insular. And so I'm looking for opportunities and I'm launching a number of different initiatives where the Harvard Club of Boston, both the members and the employees, are actively engaged in the community that surrounds us. Um, there are a number of ways in which we can do that. And one example, which I'll share with you, is this fabulous uh, Class of 2010 graduate from Harvard, Liz Powers, has started a company called Art Lifting. And she's someone you might want to consider having on your show at some point in time. I will look her up. But she basically took her own personal savings and through an art therapy group created a, a, a way to sell the art of the homeless and disabled artists that she was working with where they get to keep 50% of the profits. Mm. And she's expanded this now into 17 cities around the U S she's been on a lot of different publications. She's just a dynamo and a true example of someone who's doing good in the community. So the Harvard club has had her come and speak to our members. We're having an art auction in January to promote where a lot of these homeless and disabled artists are going to be there talking about their life story and selling their art, hopefully not only to members, but their guests. So we're really looking for opportunities in, in addition to donating food to the local food bank and getting involved in some of the more ordinary um, charitable initiatives. Um, I've reached out to um, the mayor who is very focused on opioid addiction to see what we might be able to do in some way. So we're a, looking for ways for the Harvard Club to show, just in the fabulous way that Harvard University has done this, to show the connection with the community and giving back to the global world.
2: Yeah, as as they should with all the incredible resources that you have mm-hmm. as a community. Mm-hmm. Has there been one organization that the club has been... Kind of affiliated with a charitable organization? There have
0: been a couple over the years. In fact, one of our employees, uh, who is the uh, director of athletics, um, has this program that she's done for the last couple of years uh, Cookies for Kids with Cancer. And on a Saturday, several Saturdays ago, she single handedly raised $14,000 um, by a combination of selling cookies, some of which our members actually baked, and um, raffling off private squash courses. Um, on the and the squash courts in the club so just ways to promote the good of the membership it, it not only does it do good for the community, but it also builds the internal community of people doing good things together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Something I want to ask you, you know, you're, you're living a very full life, (laughs) successful. And as you said, and I can see the joy in your face, the listeners can't, but in, in both your role at the company and, and your work with the club and your ideas and you have goals and, and set, tell me from a personal standpoint, what is difficult for you? So in other words, on it, you know, we all have something that kind of we have to work a little extra hard at every day. Nothing comes easy. So something the biggest share?
0: sacrifice um, that I have made in taking on uh, this role as president of the Harvard Club is that it's cut into my workout time. Oh. <laughs> That's the biggest I sacrifice. I know that
2: that's a challenge. But, but yeah. the biggest benefit
0: that I have is I happen to be fortunate in that I have a partner who is incredibly supportive. And he was the one that pushed me when I had my doubts about whether or not I wanted to devote my time and effort to this. He said, you have to. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is the perfect time in your life. You have to do this. So I am very grateful for that as well.
2: So you have someone that kind of picks my up biggest, the slack.
0: My biggest cheerleader. Should we give
2: him a shout-out? What is his name? Richard. Richard. Is he listening? <laughs> I know. No. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> he better be. <laughs> um, we uh, we have a few more minutes. I want to, you know, it's always important to me um, to to gain some more um, lessons from my guests. And is first, I wanted to ask you about any mentors that have been in your life, and they can be a family member. You know, you've mm-hmm. mentioned your parents a great deal. Obviously, they were a great influence. And, who you are, Mm -hmm. Um, was there anybody in your career that that is is a go-to person or left you with something that you always remember?
0: Absolutely. There are several. Um, And ironically, they're all men. Um, But they were people who who helped me early on in my career to identify what the next step would be. And they were already expert in this crazy little world of office furniture and architecture and design. And um, I've had the privilege to work for some really great men who have taught me an awful lot. Um, I did take a leave of absence, if you will, from the world of furniture and went into the world of architecture and design and worked for a company in in, uh, Boston called Ad Inc., and the president of that company was a true mentor uh, in so many ways and really gave me enough rope to hang myself, which fortunately I didn't do. But but I I feel that um, I've benefited from a lot of mentors. But I I do think – I'm sure you've probably heard the distinction between having a sponsor and having a mentor Mm – I do believe there's a big distinction between those two. A sponsor is someone who promotes you and promotes your skills when you're not sitting in the room. And a mentor I see as someone who's trying to download a lot of their expertise and teach you. And I would say that I've been fortunate in having both, but the ones that really propel your career are the sponsors.
2: That's a great distinction. Um, I've heard that a lot, and we talk about and I've never heard anyone put it that way. I think that's a great example of the difference. It's not necessarily always a financial, you know, being a sponsor is not always a financial um, aspect, but as you said, someone who's out there advocating for you. Yeah, noticing what you're doing and telling others about it, that's really important.
0: And I think it's a really easy thing to do. When when people who I work with do something... um, that they should be applauded for, I try to promote that and, and spread it wide. Because and we
2: should, as women, too, for each other? other. Yes, yes. I think that's really important. Um, I, I sometimes will hear that women feel that they're perhaps competing with another woman when really we should all be um, supporting each other. And, and as you said, saying things and advocating when no one is there mm, to I truly notice. believe that. Yeah, Tell me what you do. You have any um, goals or aspirations beyond your? How long is the role? Uh, let me ask you. It's a three-year term. It's three years. So and I'm what are a you going to do with yourself after
1: that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. Yeah. And if my employer is listening, I might not want to answer that right now. No, oh. I'm <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> no I still have a, a child going through college, and so I'll be working for quite a while. But the, the term is a limited three-year term. Yeah. But I will. I, I can safely say that I'll be a proud member of the Harvard Club until the day I die. So. Yeah.
2: Well, sure. There will always be that affiliation. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your son. You do. Your son is a sophomore at Harvard. Yes. Uh, and he's 22. And motherhood is, is always the greatest role we'll, we'll ever play. Tell me what did you have uh, when you were raising him and, and you were a career woman, how did you deal with those moments of, gosh, am I giving him the attention he deserves and needs? Um, well, I was
0: very fortunate. And this is um, – I was very fortunate when Christopher was first born um, – I knew that I would be continuing my career, and I hired a nanny, um, Emily, who was with our family for five years, and she was an empty nester. I think she started with us when she was 58 and had raised her children successfully, and I never missed a day of work the first five years of my son's life, which is pretty unusual. As, as a mom, I know you can attest to that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I could
0: set my clocks on Emily showing up every morning. She was just this wonderful German woman who was very loving and kind, but also very um, disciplined. And I benefited and my career benefited tremendously from that. And I see these young women that work with me who are having their children, and they don't know if they should do the daycare, if they should get a live-in or a live-out, and and I will tell you that I never had a live-in nanny, but having a consistent woman who became sort of an additional grandmother to my child for the first five years of his life, I know definitely contributed to um, my success.
2: Yeah, the loyalty there, or reliability, Mm -hmm. I'll say, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, something else we were talking about briefly before the show was... Kids today, college kids um, facing graduation, and and in this economic climate and uh, climate, excuse me, and um, job searching for kids today can be an incredible stressor. And um, I, you know, in our roles as mentors to young people, what are some? Th- if there's some young women listening, and I know that they do, um, what could you say to them? What what small pieces of advice could you say to them for? Um, Landing that job, you know, what, what what are the steps they should take upon graduation that will be uh, fruitful for them?
0: I actually spoke about this particular topic about a year ago at um, Bentley University uh, conference of women, young women, and um, what is interesting to me, and and admittedly sometimes frustrating to me, is the sense of entitlement that a lot of younger employees, both male and female, have in the workplace today. I remember doing a review for a woman who had worked for us for two years, and she was a good employee, but her question was, well, when can I expect some management responsibilities? And I sort of laughed to myself thinking, gosh, how many years into the workplace was I before I even thought of asking that question? And did I even ask that question?
2: There is that need for instant you know, gratification. And if, if you don't give yeah. me what
0: I want, I'll go elsewhere. And it's just a different mentality that I find... Um, challenging to manage, and I think that um, the advice that I tried to convey was that if you do your job, you always try to do something more than your job, and you do it to the very best of your ability, you will go far in your career, but having a sense that you're owed something or that you're entitled to something without all of the hard work and dedication behind it is not going to serve you well.
2: Mm. Where do you think that entitlement mentality well, it's I mean, I'm, from... I'm
0: certainly guilty of that as a parent of a 22-year-old. I think, you know, when my son was out in the soccer field, everybody was a winner. Everybody <laughs> came sure. away with a trophy. <laughs> That's right. You know, I mean, yeah, it just, yeah. it's, it's a different way of of raising kids. I wasn't raised that way. No. It was, Nor you know, was the, I. the winners, the all. ones who work the hardest That's are the ones right. that get the trophies. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know how we undo that. I don't know if we can undo that, but I do see a difference in the mindset of a lot of, not all, but a lot of the younger employees.
2: Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's, you know, you never want to paint a broad brush, but I think that there is, um, a lot to be said for that, and where it started and why it started is something I always think about. What, mm-hmm. I always want to know who the mom was that first said, all the kids coming to the birthday party got to go home with a gift. <laughs> yeah. yep. Yep. Why did we ever start that? We did that start to start ourselves. That? Yeah, 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 we did. But it's not reality, mm-hmm. and it's not life, and, and I think it's so much more important to teach kids resilience and how to handle disappointment and things that are hard. And rejection. You know, in sales,
0: you, you get rejection a lot. And that was also a very valuable lesson to me early on. Um, in, in the particular type of sales that I was doing earlier in my career, if, if I won a third of the things that I was working on, I was r- really a big success. And so to be able to take that with a stiff upper lip and go on to the next one and go on to the next one was a, was a skill that I think serves you well. And I have these conversations with my son. I, you know, you need to be able to deal with rejection, but you also always have to ask the people you're working with and for, what else can I do? Is there something else I can do to contribute?
2: And, and, and lastly, we just have a minute left, something we didn't touch on, but I think um, is something that you do, you, you do and, and we talked about it, and it's very important, is to not always think that you have the answers. Absolutely. As a leader, as someone who is, you know, spearheading something or a project, to be able to turn to your colleagues or people that are working for you and say, you know what, help me understand this. I, I don't quite have, you know, all the answers. I think it's really important. Even as president
0: of the Harvard Club, I wanted to make sure that a number of skill sets were represented on the board, in addition to my own. I I I, I think I know where my strengths are, but I also want to be cognizant of my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And I believe it is a team sport.
2: Yeah. Karen, I thank you so much for traveling down from Boston and and being here with me. And I wish you continued success in both roles. And I'll be watching. Thank you. And uh, that's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. I wish everyone a really wonderful Happy New Year. And I hope you have a great week. And we'll see you next Monday.